I would really appreciate it that even John started talking about the love of God this morning. We hadn't even chatted about that. It's just, it's on the Holy Spirit's mind. So we're going to spend a few weeks chatting about that as a church family. Uh, before I get into that, uh, are John and Marie, are, are you guys in the room? John and Marie? No? Okay. Never mind. We'll catch it at the end of the meeting. It's all good. Everybody in, in 1 John chapter 4? Hope you are. You can turn there. I'm going to have a drink. Yeah, really what I want to get into for the next few weeks here, uh, just as a church family, is we're going to be we're going to be chatting through, but hopefully more than chatting, we're going to be experiencing again uh, the love of God. Um, it's just it's it's sort of the it's sort of essential to the Christian faith. It's sort of sort of elemental, and so we want to pick that up again. Uh, but before we get into uh, the subject at hand this morning, I want to set it up this way. Um, especially if you've ever been here at the Vineyard for even probably three Sundays in a row, if you're here. With us just for even a couple Sundays, you know a couple things about us. Number one, uh, we just we really have latched on to finding our identity as being presence people, meaning that we are people who are solely committed to experiencing the presence of God. We don't want a theology or, or an abstract idea about the, the presence of God so much as we want an encounter with the presence of God. Then beyond that, one of the things you've probably also noticed if you've been here for any period of time is that one of the things that God's speaking to our community right now is that we're called to be uh, a, a, a people who transform our, our community, transform our region, and people who are called to transform our nation. And not only that, but it's actually the call of every Christian community. It's not just this one. It's not unique just to us, but it's, it's, it's the call that Jesus places before all of his followers. And if you're familiar with the scripture at all, uh, of course, you know, Matthew 28, it's the, what's called the Great Commission. And Jesus tells his 12 best friends at the time, or 11 at that moment, and he says, Hey guys, what I'd like you to do is, I would like you to take everything you've learned from me, and I'd like you to teach it to the nations. And so there's this transformational word. We've been called to transformation. Matthew 28, it's a transformational word. Um, and what I really love about that moment in Matthew 28, when Jesus is looking at his 11 remaining best friends, what I really love about that moment is that he's hanging out with them. And while he's, he's about to leave the planet and he's giving them this huge mission, this huge, this huge transformational invitation. And in doing so, he's inviting the most unexpected guys into this transformation. Like the guys you would never have picked, you know? Jesus is the guy who picked those guys. So in the 11, Jesus has mostly fishermen. He has a lion, cheating tax collector. He has a political revolutionary. He has just the most normal people ever. And he invites them into this transformational mission along with him. Early in his ministry, Jesus says to his disciples, he says, hey guys, you know, freely you've received, now freely give. It's this principle in the kingdom. Freely receive, now freely give. Uh, it's, it's this elemental principle in the kingdom of heaven. And, and the principle is very simple. You, you can't give away anything that you haven't received. So the kingdom of heaven is always, always, always 
meant to be lived in, in is meant to be lived in authenticity. You you can't give away. You can't you can't transform unless you've been transformed. The kingdom call to transform is actually a call to be an authentic person. But Jesus invites him and he says, "Hey, come and follow me in this in this transformational mission." Earlier he says, "Freely receive, now freely give." So you can't give away anything that you haven't received. It's a lifestyle of authenticity. And then number two, um, some of us hear that kind of thing and we lose heart because we know we're called to the mission. And then, you know, I start talking about, you know, you can't give away anything you haven't received. And we, and we lose heart. We're like, man, I'm not entirely sure that I've really received that much. It doesn't feel like I have much to give away. And there's really good news. You shouldn't lose heart because if Jesus was willing to share with those guys, he's willing to share with you. You know, none of them had special qualifications. No one, no one on Jesus's team had any special qualification. No one, no one could stick his hand up and go, you know, I deserve to be here. Peter, James and John, all fishermen working with their father. Jesus walks by the seashore, says, hey, you should come follow me. They just drop their nets and they go and follow Jesus. The qualification wasn't in their intellect, their strength or their ability. Their qualification was simply that they were willing to leave and go and follow him. So anyone who hears freely give from what you've from what you freely received from anyone who hears me say you can't give away anything you haven't received and you lose heart. Well, there's good news. Don't lose heart because Jesus is the kind of Jesus who's willing to share. And if you'd share with Peter, James and John, I can assure you he'd share with you. Simon, the zealot, he was a political revolutionary who thought that the way to the way to bring change was to go in with a sword and. Attack Rome. That's what he thought. Jesus invites him into his, into his team. Some of you guys are like radical, rabid, right-wing crazies who watch Fox News constantly, right? And there's actually a spot for a person like that on Jesus' team. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. So the only qualification is, is are you willing to leave everything that you know and go and follow him? In fact, we might even want to just let that fall on us for a moment here. Because everyone in the room, especially those of us who feel like we're connected to this body, we're called to be transformational people. We're called to be transformed people who we go and transform culture. And the only qualification required is the willingness to follow the Lord Jesus anywhere he goes. But one of the things that I want to bring up at this point is that everyone who followed Jesus left major things behind. So Peter, James, and John, if you'll remember, Jesus says, come and follow me. They, they actually just dropped their nets. Can you imagine you're working with your father? You've probably worked your entire life to get those boats. You have a couple boats. You have a little crew. You're working with your father. It's, a, it's, it's been a multi-generational endeavor to get you to that moment. Things are actually going well. And I have a, I have a note. Things are actually going well. And in the process of going well, Jesus comes and he says, come and follow me. And when he says that word, everything that you've worked for, for the past 20, 30 years, everything that your dad ever worked for, everything that your dad ever learned from his dad, you just drop it in the ocean and you walk off and you follow Jesus. Matthew's sitting at his little tax collecting stand. His entire, his entire livelihood depends on his ability 
to collect, to swindle his own brothers, and he's done a good job at it, and he's actually rich. Jesus comes by and says, Matthew, I'd like to have you on my team. You don't have much integrity. I think I'd like to have you. Jesus chooses in strange ways. And Matthew just gets up, follows with him. So the only qualification to being a transformed person who can transform culture is the willingness to follow Jesus. And the willingness to follow Jesus always means the willingness to actually leave things behind. Now you might be thinking, well, how in the world... How in the world does this intersect with our conversation over the next couple of weeks with the love of God? Well, I'd like to tell you it's actually central. It's central. See, the love of God is central to a conversation about transformation and about our mission in the earth. Because at the center of all transformation is God. And at the center of God is His love. Like the essence of who God is, is love. Everything, everything that God is, and every way that He manifests Himself, and every way that He displays Himself, and every way that He chooses to reveal Himself, comes through the love filter. So, A lot of us know about the power of God. A lot of us know about the mercy of God. A lot of us have heard about the presence of God. A lot of us have heard about the judgments of God and even the correction of God. And one of the things I want you to realize is every every manifestation of God, it grows from the place of love. Like even His correction and even, even His judgment grows out of love. God's power grows out of love. It's actually, it's actually a manifestation of His love. God's wisdom is a manifestation of His love. Now how does that fall into a conversation about transformation? Well, it falls into a, a, a conversation about transformation because God is at the center of all transformation. Like, you can't change unless God gets involved. You can't change for the good. You can't be a transformed person unless God gets involved. You can't change unless God is is present in your life. You can't see yourself go out of darkness and come into light unless the king of all glory and the king of all light gets in with you. You, It won't happen. Not only that, but the real essential issue is is this. All transformation comes from an experience of the love of God. All transformation comes from an encounter with God, and all encounters with God are actually just manifestations of His love toward us. So a couple things. I want to do two things this morning. This is really just an introductory message. And the first one is this. We can't even really talk about transformation until we see that all formation, all creation, and all design came out of God's love. God is formational, He is creational, and He is design-oriented. And He is transformational, recreational, and reformational. And all of those things come out of His love. So number one... Formation and creation and design all come out of God's love. The way that we know that creation and formation and design comes out of God's love 
is really captured for us in the book of Genesis. In those first few chapters, there's this poem, and it's the creation poem. And that's actually the first point. Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 uh, are, this, are this long poem. It's not a science project. The worst way to approach Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 is as if it were science. It's not science. It's a poem. And the fact that it is a poem actually reveals something about the guy who wrote the poem. You understand that poetry is the language of intimacy. And so when God begins to reveal how creation happened and when he tucks creation story inside of a poem, he's actually revealing to us that it's, it's, it's language uh, that reveals his heart of love. Not only that, not only that, but one of the main things that Genesis chapter 1 uh, opens up to us is that God spoke everything into existence. So everything that, everything that came about came about because he spoke it. Now, one of the things that gets implied in that is this. How many of you realize that everything that you speak, everything that gets spoken was first a thought and a dream? Like people, people think before they speak, or at least we hope they do, right? But thoughts come, but speech comes from someplace, right? So God, God has thought about things and he is speaking from his thoughts. But how many of you realize because God is wise, he didn't just think about it in the way that you and I did. It was, it was a dream of his heart. So every star, every planet, every comet, every animal, every plant, every fish, and yeah, every single person before it was, was actually a dream in his heart. So when God speaks, he's actually speaking from the dream of his heart. How many of you know when you carry dreams around in your life and you begin to speak of them, you're actually carrying around the affections of your heart? So when, the, when Genesis talks about God speaking, the implication is, is that he was dreaming and his dreams came from a place of his affections and his affections came from his essential nature, which is his love. So creation, formation, and design itself reveals not just that God is powerful, but it reveals something much more basic and is that he is love. Every display of God's power, let there be light. That was it, right? It was actually an expression of his love. Uh, it, says, it says in Jeremiah, right at the very beginning, God says to Jeremiah, even before you were knit in your mother's womb, what does he say? I knew you. How could God know somebody before they were? They were a dream in his heart. That's how. And he loved them even there. Let me flip over to Genesis here because I want us to see the I want us to see the love of God in creation. It'll give us faith for the for the love of God in our own transformation. Genesis chapter two. Verse 5 through 9, this is, this is the creation of Adam. So God's created everything, plants, animals, everything. And it says in, in verse 5, When the Lord God had made the, the earth and the heavens, and no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no man to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed 
the breath of life into his nostrils. And the man became a living being. A couple things I want you to see here. Look at verse 7. This is where God begins to make Adam. And I want you to underline those first three words there. The Lord God. Up to this point, up to this point, creation had happened in a particular way. God would speak it and it would happen, right? And when he began to create Adam, something totally changed and God began to take it personally. God came and did it himself. How many of you know that you do the things that you really care about yourself? The things that you really, 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 really care about, you don't leave to someone else. Right? The things you want to make sure get done right, you don't leave to someone else. And when God set about creating man and woman, when God set about creating mankind, he came and he did it himself. It wasn't even just a speech act. It was that he came and he did it himself. Then I want you to look a little bit further. It says that the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. And I want you to underline that word formed. It means that he formed it with his own hands. It means he shaped it. Everything in creation up to this point had been spoken. God had spoken planets. God had spoken stars. He had spoken space. He had spoken water. He had spoken animals. He had spoken shrubs of the field. He had spoken everything that we know. And then when he gets to Adam, he comes close. He comes personal. He comes up in person. He doesn't leave it to a speech act. He shows up in person. And not only that, he begins to use his own hands and he begins to form out of dust. He begins to form Adam out of the ground. Puts his hands on it. At this point, he's not just speaking things, he's touching things. He's shaping things. He's he's giving detail. And he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. So I want you to get this picture. God's shown up personally. He values it that much. He shows up personally. He doesn't speak Adam into existence. He forms Adam. And then when he was going to create Adam into a living being, he breathes the breath of life into his nostril. How close do you have to get to get the breath of life into your nostrils? Pretty close. Not only, not only is it proximity, but it's actually face to face, right? So God comes face to face with, the, with his creation. Everybody's seeing, everybody's seeing how Genesis is painting a picture for us here that's actually a picture of intimacy. Nearness. It's, it's all about nearness. It's about God being involved. And now when he's going to release life into Adam, he could, you realize he could have said, life! And Adam would have jumped up to the... Me! I'm here. But he didn't. He got, he, God comes down and he gets right in Adam's face. He breathes the breath of life right into his nostrils. All of this is the language of intimacy. And intimacy is the goal of love. And then it goes on. It, it gets this intimate narrative, this love narrative, it, it, doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't change or waver. Then it says that God, in verse 8, it says God planted a garden in Adam. He planted a garden for Adam. How many of you realize that when God planted the garden, He didn't speak it? He didn't point His finger and go, Psk. He could have done that. You realize that. It's part of his God prerogative. 
It's just part of what he can do. I mean, if he's God, right? He, he can do it like, he can do this. There could, have been a, there could have been a garden. But he didn't. It says that he went and he planted a garden. How many of you have ever planted a garden? How many of you are like, planting a garden is work? So God decides to put some effort into something. Not only that, but when he planted a garden, he was making a place for them to thrive. He was was creating an an environment where Adam and all of mankind could, could thrive. It's kind of like when it's kind of like when a man goes and builds a house for his wife. Why does a man go and build a house for his wife and his family? Because he loves them. How many of you have ever had kids who bring you in things they make? Like really, really special things, right? Hey, I made this for you. Oh, thanks. What is it? Oh, it's a picture of you. Oh, no, you're holding it upside down, Dad. Oh, of course, I knew that. <laughs> like when we make things for people, it, it communicates love, right? No one puts effort into something for someone they hate. When a man builds a house for his wife and his family, it's coming, it's coming from that inside place. It's coming from love. And God's created a garden. When your kids bring you a picture, it's coming from love it's that we want to offer something early on in our relationship heather and i used to make each other christmas presents a lot of furniture got built in those few years she made me a lamp i made her a table and the reason we did it is because we really really loved one another the good news is we still do Love you, baby. Yeah, she made me a lamp. I made her a table. I think later on I made her a nightstand that wasn't quite square. But people make things for one another when they really love each other. And God's planted a garden for Adam. Um, one One of the family treasures in Heather's household is this Kentucky long rifle that Dr. Ray made. And if you've ever seen it, it's like, it's the coolest thing in the house. And the reason it's cool isn't just, I mean, like the rifle itself is cool. Like, just, you know, guns are cool, you know. (laughs) Except if you're really liberal, then they're dangerous. (laughs) But guns are cool. Guns are cool, and the amazing thing of this, the amazing part of this gun isn't just that it's a gun. So on the gun level, it wins already, okay? It's dangerous, and that makes it cool. But then beyond that, it's amazing because it started with a stick, like a log. It was just a log, and, and Ray shaped it with his hands. Like he had to, he had to dream and imagine what it would be even before it was that thing. And he had to take just 
just grinding, you know, getting that shape just right. And then he takes a steel barrel, you know, a 50 caliber barrel. And the way you set a barrel in a rifle like that is you actually let the barrel and the weight of the barrel carve out the trench in the wood. And you just, you just do this. How long do you do this? For like weeks, maybe months. I don't even know. But you go down every night after you've had dinner and you've put the kids to bed and you, you spend an hour or two scraping your barrel into the wood trough that isn't there yet. And you're just letting the weight of the barrel do the work. But then his rifle gets even better because all along the rifle, there's all these little brass inlays. And he made all the inlays from brass and he carved them out by hand. And there's, in, there's an inlay for each of his daughters and there's an inlay for, uh, for candy. And the, I love the one for candy because it's right in the grip of the gun so when you pull it close to your cheek now why would a man do something like that is it because he just wanted to go out and kill an animal no 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 couple things see the things we make reveal what we love And to make something for someone, you make things when you love people. Not only that, but when you weave story into the things you make, it's because you love people. It's it's an expression of love. See, love love is never satisfied with just just that basic communication of, I love you. Love always, 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 always searches for more. It always reaches into metaphor, and it's always reaching into story, and it's always reaching into creating something and so here we have this creator god who is always about story he's always weaving narrative and he's weaving it into his own creation and he's making adam his most special thing he makes him face to face he comes close he breathes the breath of life and he doesn't leave adam out on the planet just to figure it out on his own he actually makes a space and he makes a garden for him And then the third part about this garden is that God planted a couple trees in it. It's kind of the confounding thing about this whole garden. And when God planted two trees, he planted the tree of life and then he planted the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when he planted the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in that garden, the garden became a risky place. So love creates, it creates intimately, it creates a place to thrive, it creates a place where real love can be felt and then reciprocated, but then love also creates risk. See, love can only exist in a place of risk. That's the reason God put those two trees in there. See, when love's involved, there's actually no guaranteed outcomes. How many of you guys have ever been 15 years old or 16 years old and you were about to ask that girl out? How many of you even can remember that far back? How many of you can remember like the night before you asked your, your, your wife to marry you? I mean, can you remember that? How many of you couldn't sleep before that night? Why? Because you're not entirely sure what she's going to say. 
Like you're pretty start, you're pretty sure because you went and bought a ring, right? You put money into this thing. But at the end of the day, she can still say no, right? So for real, for real love to exist, it has to be planted in a place where there's risk. There's no guaranteed outcomes. For real love to, resi- to exist, there has to be that place where rejection could take place. Anybody in here ever been rejected? Holla. That's a hard one. That's a hard one. You know what's worse than rejection? There's something that's actually way worse than rejection. It's called control. Control's worse than rejection. Because if love isn't allowed to exist in the place where there's risk, in a place where there are no necessarily guaranteed outcomes, then the only thing that's left is control. And for as bad as rejection is, control's ten times worse. Painful as disappointment is, control is a crueler master. So love, love formed, it shapes, it creates a place, and love exists, love exists right in the middle of risk. So number one, God is, God's love is seen in formation, it's seen in creation, and it's seen in His design. But then number two, and the thing that we're going to get to over the next couple of weeks, is that God's love is transformational and it's recreational. See, all of us are here because of the love of God in the broadest sense. And in spite of all of our brokenness and all of our pain and all the injustice in the world, it's only the love of God that can recreate any of that. I want to I want to set this recreational idea. Um, I want to set it up with several scriptures here, real quick. Uh, one being really really famous. Uh, in John three sixteen, it says that God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Why did God give His Son? Because He loved the world. What's the only? It's the, and it begin. We begin to see that the only hope of transformation, it, it flows out of God's love. Why did God send His Son? He sent his son because he's crazy about the world. Then uh, Romans 5.8, the very first scripture that I ever memorized in my whole life. God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's love is actually, it's an active, demonstrated kind of love. It isn't silent and hidden, it's demonstrated. And how does God demonstrate his love? He demonstrates us, he demonstrates his love like this that even when you and I were still rebels running away from Him, even when some of us were actually running against Him, even when we were still in that place of hating God, He sends His Son so that He could could die for us and cleanse us. That's the love of God. It's the transformational love of God. God's love is formational. It got us here. And God's love is transformational. It'll change who we are.
Not only that, but in Romans 8.32, sort of an extension of, of that same thought. This has been a, a scripture that's wrecked me for the last two weeks. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? If God was unwilling to spare his own son, wow, come on. How do you know, how do you know what something is worth? How do you know what something is worth? Yeah, the value of any object is determined by what someone is willing to pay for it. And if God is willing to spend his son, that means that you and I are treasure. When God spent his son, like when Jesus came into Mary's womb, God, it was as though there was a transaction that had already been declared in the heavens and God had spent his son. And at that very moment, he had declared to creation in a graphic way that would become more graphic in 33 years, that he is crazy about creation. He is crazy about you. He is crazy about me. He is crazy about this family. He is crazy about his church. Not only that, he is crazy about rebels who don't even like him. He is crazy so much, he is willing to run the risk and spend his son on that. It's that risk thing again. He is willing to spend it. The value is determined by what someone is willing to spend. And if Jesus if Jesus is the amount that God has spent, it means that you and I are treasure. And that comes from the place of his love. It comes from his heart. Then I want to read to you a couple more verses in Romans 35 through 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither life nor death, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Love brought about the world, and love is the only hope that the world has. Even now. See, we're called to be transformed and then we're called to transformed. We're called to be transformed and then we're called to go and transform. And what that really means is we're called to live in the experience of God's love. That's what it means. When Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, what he's really saying there is experience my love and go take my love. When you say yes to being a follower, what you're really saying yes to is, yes, I will be a person who lives in the awareness of God's affections for me. See, concepts and principles. Concepts and principles, they're just, they're just, they're logs on a fire of frustration without the context of God's, God's love. Without the experience. Like there, there are lots of people in this room who can get all the answers right 
about God's love. Does God love me? Yes or no? Yes. Check. Does God love everyone? Yes or no? Yes. Got it right. There are people in the room, and there are people everywhere who can get all the answers right, but have never experienced the kindness of God and have never felt His affections. See, principles principles and right answers are just logs on a fire of frustration apart from the encounter with the, with the love of God, with feeling His affections. You understand that when, when God made Adam and put him in a garden, He made a place where Adam and Eve, they would, they would walk out in the garden in the morning, they would get something to eat, and then they would look up and God would be there. He'd be out there walking with them. What's the point? The point is that God, God created a place in His love for communion. And the first thing the fall did, and the main thing the fall did, was bring separation. So God used to talk to Adam face to face, and used to talk to Eve face to face, and now there's the separation. You've got to leave the garden, because I can't have you eating from that one tree. And now God begins to, we begin to see in just a few short chapters, God is no longer speaking to people face to face. He's speaking through delegates. And a few chapters later, you get somebody like Moses who's speaking for a whole nation. And God shows up a little bit and the people say, no, we are, God, you are scaring us. Do not do, not do that again. Only speak through, through your servant Moses. And so there's this separation and it keeps getting longer and longer, wider and wider until the very end of the Old Testament, we have 400 years of silence where there's nothing. See, we're made for communion. We're made to feel His affections. You were, you were formed in His love to feel His love. And it's the only thing that will truly transform at the deepest levels is feeling the affections of God. So when we begin to love, one of the things that happens is when we begin to move in love, God shows up in the situation. Love brings God into the situation. When we begin to love, eternity shows up. When we, begin to, when, we begin to, when we begin to move in love, we begin to actually pull on eternity and pull it into the room. Love pulls eternity into the room. Love brings access to the heavenly realms into the room. See, a lot of us ask questions like, you know, we used to wear those little bands that say, you know, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do is oftentimes too abstract. And one of the questions that modern people right now need to ask is what would love do because jesus would never do anything that love wouldn't do it's actually a a much simpler question sometimes we're not sure what jesus would do and and the real question is what would love do that'll tell you what jesus would do because when we begin to move in love we actually begin to move in concert with eternity when we begin to move in love we begin to move in concert with the kingdom of heaven it actually draws it it actually brings an an invisible unseen realm into the scene pays it forward But this sort of life isn't possible apart from feeling his affections. And I'm, ta- and I'm talking about feeling them. I'm talking about, the, I'm talking about feeling the affections of God over your life just the way you felt when you stood before your wife and said, I do on your wedding day. Just like you did when you first kissed her on that first, on that first date. Some of you just went for it on the first date. Come on. I'm talking about that feeling. Like you need to feel the, the affections of God. And even now, the men in the room are getting really squirrely. They're like, I don't know if I want to feel the affections of God. I, I just want to tell you, you want to feel the affections of God over your life. You have to. It's the only hope of you being truly human again. When Jesus was a full-grown man and about to kick off his ministry, he gets baptized. I love this moment. 
Jesus gets baptized by John. He didn't have to, but he had to. And so he comes up out of the water. And then right in front of everyone, the Father speaks out of heaven. And he says, this is what? This is my beloved son. What's that mean? This is the son that I love. This is the son that I love. And I'm in him. I am well pleased. You understand Jesus did no miracles until after he was baptized and the spirit came on him. And theologians always point out that it was the, the spirit upon his life that, that, uh, that kicked off a series of miracles in Jesus's miracle ministry. But one of the things that always gets overlooked is that the father spoke his affections over his son. See, I want to tell you, you will not be, you will not be who you are called to be. You, you, it is impossible to live the fully human life. It is impossible to live the life of bringing the kingdom of heaven into this, into this present age without feeling the affections of God on your life. I want to ask you a question. If Jesus needed to know his father's love, if he needed to feel his father's love and know his father's affections to the point that his father would speak it like audible voice of God, how much more do you and I need to know the father's affection? I want to tell you that one of the reasons that Jesus was able to to live an intense three and a half years. And we cannot imagine the intensity that Jesus lived under. Everywhere he went, there was a crowd. Everywhere he went, there was a need. Everywhere he went, he was opposed. Everywhere. He was in a pressure cooker. How can you stand up to these sorts of pressures? You can only stand up to the pressures of life if you can feel the affections of the Father on you. It changes who you are. It, it puts an inexhaustible well inside you understand jesus never ran out he never ran out if there was five thousand people who need fed five thousand people got fed and i want to tell you when people come over to my house we run out and one of the reasons that we run out is because we haven't yet fully developed an affection of god in our life we haven't that sense and that awareness of god's affections see jesus never ran out he never ran out. How can you not run out? You will not run out to the extent that you can feel the affections of God in your life. I would like to say this. There is no difference between a dove that comes and remains and the father who speaks his affections. It is the same thing. The father speaks and then there's a visible manifestation of that word. Anytime God speaks, there is a manifestation of the word. Let there be light. There is light. You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Spirit comes and remains. It's the same thing. You know, we talk about getting baptized in the spirit. Getting baptized in the spirit isn't just like getting whacked and falling around on the floor and maybe speaking in tongues. It is feeling the affections of God on your life to the point that you can't even stand it anymore. That is what the baptism of the Spirit is. The baptism of the Spirit is God speaking His affection over your life. And by the way, He speaks it over everyone's life. He speaks it over everyone's life. He even speaks it over people who don't like Him. He is speaking His affection over those people right now. And we just don't live aware of it. The baptism of the Spirit is you becoming awake. It's becoming, it's becoming coming out of slumber and coming awake to the love of God. I don't went to preaching. Jeremy, what happened? I, I, I got a Pentecostal friend and I started preaching. (laughs) 
I wrote something really good here, and it's just written so poorly, I don't even know what it says. <laughs> I know some of you are thinking, you're thinking, Adam, you should use your computer. I can't do my computer. When I type, nothing good ever shows up. I have to write it down. Yeah, we were, we were designed to know the love of God. And here's, here's the other thing I want to get to before we finish this morning, is that you were actually designed to know and feel the affections of God. You're not an animal. That was profound, wasn't it? You are not an animal. You're something way more complex than an animal. You are soul, you are body, and you are spirit. And that spirit component, that part that got breathed into you, God's breath of life that came into you, that made you a person who is perfectly designed to communicate with the spirit realm and perfectly designed to feel and know the affections of God. See, one of the things that I am, I am unwilling to do is I am unwilling to change the pattern or the form of my life. I am unwilling to change the goal of my life from anything that I can't find in those first couple back chapters of Genesis. If God created a man, if he formed us, if he breathed the breath of life into us, if he got right into our face, if he would come so close to breathe on me, then I'm saying, God, would you come that close and breathe, breathe on me again? Like if you would do it once, I know he'll do it again. And I am unwilling to have a relationship or a concept of God that isn't based upon Him coming close and breathing the breath of life on me. And I am unwilling to live in any place other than His garden, which is the place of communion. I am unwilling to do that. I am unwilling to settle for an intellectual concept of God that has nothing to do with me coming face to face and sharing with Him life. I want to receive your life, God. I want to know it. And how many of you realize that when someone breathes on you, you know it? Like I can be walking in the mall and somebody can like sneak up behind me and they, I can, you can't even hear them. You know they're there, right? Freaks you out. Like if somebody can freak you out in the mall, how many of you know that if God comes in the room and he begins to breathe on you, you can, you can feel it in your body. You can feel it in your emotions. It, it isn't meant to just touch the intellectual part of who you are. Hey, let's have some fun here for a minute. Just an exercise. Everybody in the room, point to yourself. Look around. of the room is pointing right here. No one's pointing right here. (laughs) So you were made to know. See, what it means to be human isn't it it human humanness isn't just our intellect. And we don't even we don't even gain our identity from our ability to think. We, We know that it's here somewhere different. We know that it's here. You were perfectly designed to know God. You were perfectly designed to know His love. You were perfectly formed to feel His affections. You were perfectly formed to hear, hear Him speak his, his affirmation word over you. You were formed to hear the Father say, I love you. You were formed to hear Him say, you have my approval. 
You were formed to feel the breath of life come on your body, to know it on your insides. had you open up to first john we didn't even get there i am such a good preacher probably the best just want you to know that pretty pathetic yeah in the coming weeks we're gonna we're gonna unpack how to feel the affections of god but this morning the main thing that i want us to grab hold of is as a community of faith i want us to be the kind of people who say to ourselves, to one another, and to God, we are unwilling to live with a brain concept of who God is. I am unwilling to simply be able to answer questions on a test that will never be given. Come on. When you get to heaven, there's not going to be a test. There's actually not even going to be questions. You know, you hear preachers say, well, when you get to heaven, all he's going to want to know is, did you know my son? Did you bring anybody with you? False. He's going to want to know, did you feel my affections? Can you feel it now? Come on. It's actually better. Like, there is no test. Everybody's preparing for a test that will not be given. Man, I feel hope come in the room. Everybody's, everybody hates taking the test. I, want to, I just want to declare prophetically this morning, there is no test. There's no test. See, the winners in the New Testament are Mary at his feet and John on his breast. Come on. Come on. And the men are getting uncomfortable again. They're like, you know, I just, I, I just don't know if I want to do that. I just, you know. I just don't know. Trust me, you want to do that. Trust me. I'm as manly as anybody in here. I can grow a beard. I probably have more tattoos than any of you. I one time punched a guy out in my car. This guy, this joker... This joker comes to me, like, I don't even know who this guy is. I'm sitting at a stoplight, gets out of his car, comes up behind me. I'm with the window down in front of Taylor County Bank, slugs me right in the, right in the jaw. I'm seeing stars, but I, I'm not seeing too many stars because I grab his arm. I pull him in. I punch him in the face. And then I take my left hand and I throw him out in the street. Why am I telling a story about violence? <laughs> and a message about the love of God. <laughs> Two things. Number one, only in the vineyard. And then number two, heck, I'm, I'm about as manly as anybody in here. And you need to feel the affections of God. You need to feel the affections of God. 
like those that mochismo like barrier that comes around that keeps you from giving yourself to God and to people it is not going to advance you in life you need to feel the the affections of God on your life God isn't God isn't just for like the manby pamby like you know intercessor women somewhere who want, you know who want to take a flag and run around the building God, God is for God is God wants to touch men at deep levels and he wants them to feel the, he wants to feel his kindness and he wants to speak his affirmation word. See, I'm just stirring up all kinds of trouble. I'd like to give you my email address. It is Adam Russell one, the number one at Mac.com. If any of those things offended you, you send me an email. We'll dialogue. It'll be good. We'll work it out. In fact, I'd like to pre- I'd like to pre-apologize. <laughs> All right, we have two more things we need to do. We ca- it's kind of a family-style meeting here this morning. Amen. Uh, okay, so I want to do three things actually. I want to pray for you, and then we have two things we need to do. Is that okay? Okay. I have I have group buy-in. Okay. Just even just while you're seated, just want you to put your hand on your heart, okay? We're gonna pray something, and God's gonna come and touch us. He's gonna touch us now, but it's really gonna it's actually gonna increase through the week. All right, Father, I ask right now, God, that you would that you would release us to know your affections. God, we ask right now that God, if it was good enough for your Son Jesus, then we're asking for the same thing. God, if it was good enough for Adam, we're asking for the same thing. God, we we want to feel and know the affections of God in our life. God, we want to feel you. We want to know you. We want to hear kind words, God. God, would you come close to us? God, would you breathe the breath of life on us? And God, to the extent that any of us are living with with a faith that is locked in, in, in intellectualism, God, to the extent that any of us have studied for a test that will never be given, God, we ask that you would just come and smash that right now and that you would allow us to feel your kindness and your affection. Father, I ask that it would increase in the room right now. And I ask that it would increase through the week. Let's just wait here for a moment. Thank you, God. Come and speak your word over us. Come and lay your hand upon us. Come and form my life, God. God, we just confess to you that we need reformed. That there are places in our life that yet need to be reformed. God, we just confess to you that the blood of Jesus, 100% effective. God, we, we just confess to you that we, we would love for you to come and apply it to places in our life that we have not yet allowed you to come. Come and, come and cleanse us, God. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, I want to do two more things. Um,